Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. Welcome to our new episode of Transportation Matters. My name is Martin Daum and I'm the CEO of Daimler Trucks and Buses and I hope this podcast finds all of you well and healthy. Thanks so much for being with us again. Our topic today is one of the main themes of our times, digitalization. There's no questions, we all live in a digital area. There's also no doubt that digitalization is an important thing. It makes our life easier in many ways, and it changes our life in many ways. But at the same time, digitalization is also a serious challenge. It's a challenge because it requires new skills and a very new mindset. So the question is, how exactly can we stay innovative and competitive in a new area? What does it take on a personal level and on a company level and as a society to be innovative? That's what we want to discuss today. And I'm glad we've got a great guest to do so, Claudia Nehmert. Claudia Nehmert is a member of the Board of Management of Deutsche Telekom. She's responsible for technology and innovation. She also breathes digital innovation day in, day out. Claudia, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Martin, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. I would like to start with a more personal question. What role played innovation and change in your professional life? Actually, it was a key ingredient in my professional life. And I must say it started even in my private life. Because when I was a kid, my father said to me, when you run against the wall a trillion times, you might eventually pass through, assuming you are nuclear particle. And I got so curious <laughs> that it made me study physics later and then actually go into the tech industry and actually also lead and drive digital transformation. So for me, curiosity, breaking rules and driving innovation is a big scheme in my both personal as well as professional life. You used the word digital transformation. And I always wonder whether digital transformation, is it just a buzzword Or is it really this, the first step into a complete new area? So um, I believe it is a step in a new era, but let's define what it is. What I mean with that is actually our ability to capture data at scale, to interpret these data develop algorithms and uh, machine learning and AI to actually use it to create better business models and customer experience. To give you a very practical example from our industry. See, we do build broadband connectivity. Mm -hmm. But from a consumer experience, it is not sufficient to know that you have maybe a fiber connection in your basement. In the end, your experience is driven through the home network. And your true connectivity experience, because you want it to work when someone is doing a video conference, the other ones are doing Netflix, YouTube, whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And in practical reality, it often doesn't work because people put, for instance, the router at the wrong place. I mm -hmm. went to many homes and you could find it behind the aquarium or behind the bookshelf. From a consumer experience, it just works. But in order to do this, you need to have as a company far more software, data interpretation and analytical skills than we did 
at a point in time when we just thought, oh, it's about putting a fiber connectivity mm. here and treat the router as a black box. Mm. So what I see in our business, as in many other businesses, the ability to use these analytics, these data to create new experiences and even new business models is becoming actually more and more important for all of us. And that is what I mean by digitization, the ability to interpret data at scale for better experiences and new business models. Because I, I came from another angle, because when I grew up, we worked on mainframe computers. You yes. know? And then when I, when I started my professional life, we had desktop computers, which transformed later to laptops. And then the internet came up and the first cell phones. And I still remember, I, I always call it my biggest misinterpretation my whole life. I once had, I was a, a young a junior executive at Daimler and I had to write a thesis about the future of, of, of mobile phones. And I clearly uh, had to assess a business idea. And I came to the conclusion this thing would only work if 10% of the population would have a mobile phone. And that showed how ridiculous that idea was, <laughs> yeah, because I said far too much optimistic assessments, 10% needed explanation mark, never ever will 10% of the population have a cell phone. That was in 1990. All of us underestimated things. When the mobile yeah. networks got introduced, no one would have thought that years later, most human beings would have phones. Yeah. When in 2004, the so-called third generation 3G yeah. network was introduced, nobody was realizing that a couple of years later, after the invention of the first iPhone in 2007, yeah. Yeah. what would be the killer app? The yeah. mobile internet. Nobody thought though in the age of feature phones. Yeah. And, and history repeats itself. We have always underestimated what will drive massive scale and user experience. It's quite interesting to see what this is going to be with the next generation now, 5G, what's going to be the killer um, scenario here. But every technology generation found these, what I call killer yeah. scenarios or applications. But I come from that angle and said, and therefore we are already seen in the last 40 years in a transformational age. Absolutely. Because, because we, we never could estimate what laptops or desktops would mean for business environment. You know, we could never estimate what, what mobile phones, and I still think of the old Nokia, you know, uh, phone, what that mean for personal communication. And then we, we never could imagine what a, what, a, what a smartphone could do as a change. You are right. In that sense, we have been in a transformation, digital transformations, since I believe the computer got invented and the, then later, a couple of years later, the internet mm. um, birth was given to the internet. So in that sense, we have experienced now for a few decades, you could argue, yeah. uh, digital transformation of the industrial sector, yeah, like the industrial revolution we had at the end of the 19th century and then mm. before. In that sense, I, I do agree with you. So it's not that now there is something which is just the latest invention mm. of the last mm. two or three mm. years. Yeah. And, and, and how would that continue? You are talking about 5G. Why do I as a person or why do I as a manager need at one point of time in my life 5G? So um, 5G stands for the fifth generation in mobile phones, right? And now it's a little bit like when you had asked me in 2004, what do I need 3G for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple of years later, we realized that you needed to, to carry the internet in the pocket. And now in order not to give you a technical answer, but more an experience answer, mm -hmm. what actually 5G does is the perfect combination 
of our physical reality, a digital reality and physical realities in other places, which creates a completely different type of experiences in entertainment, in education, in the design, and later in the realization of fully automated factories. What do I mean? Mm -hmm. To make it very practical, if you go with your kids to the Colosseum, might be somehow boring unless they are fans of uh, the Roman Empire like mine, mm -hmm. but um, then you put up glasses which are exactly like the ones I'm wearing, normal glasses, not these bulky yeah, yeah. virtual reality glasses Nerdy. and have acoustics in it. And the construction of the virtual realities, the people fighting in the arena mm -hmm. and the arena, what it was, will be so real that you do not distinguish between what are the old stones and what is this. And you can see some previous examples of this in South Korea where they used in the pre-COVID time mm -hmm. these big um, stadiums and then had thousands, ten thousands of people fight against a virtual dragon who came flying into the stadium. Now, what do you need that for? I think it will evolve over time what that really is. But if you ask me what is so unique from a customer experience, it's the perfect merge of physical and digital reality for new experiences. Now, to make it more practical here for for the industrial sector, because of its tremendous reliability and low reaction times and data volumes, it's a great enabler for fully automated production. For mm -hmm. example, when you have your autonomous mm -hmm. guided yeah. vehicles running around yeah. at a campus network, yeah. it's just a better performance and it works better. And then you as, as a board member for innovation and technology, you certainly look ahead of 5G. Do you think of 6G, 7G? Yeah, uh, always the next generation yeah, yeah, 6G, which, yes, which we absolutely. do in automotive as, as yes, well. You know, we absolutely. think of CO2-free uh, <laughs> propulsion, uh, even still selling 99% of our products uh, with combustion engines. Yeah, So we think, we, we try to figure out how does uh, traffic look like yes, 10, 15 the, years ago. Uh, absolutely, we future. do. But the, the uh, very interesting thing is that Uh, here in my role, I always have to see what are the practical next steps to drive transformation fast enough, but not too much ahead of time. So the timing on what is when is super important. And uh, therefore, we have a lot to do with the legacy transformations mm -hmm. in our networks and in our IT and in the products, while then, of course, having to think about the long-term future as well. And you potentially have to keep alive all the old infrastructure as well, because not everyone is following to the next level. Yes and no. One of the biggest transformation projects of the last decade was the digitization of our networks. We call that IP transformation. To make that very simple, what does it do? It takes out old hardware and software, which is incredibly energy inefficient, partially dating back from the 90s, out of the network, replaces it by super energy efficient software. It actually created the basis for a network which is designed on software, so the result of that is that a customer can now buy a router and then put it into the wall and it works, assuming you have a line. Plus, it was also the technical prerequisite for broadband rollout. That was a project over the last decade. And this was really around shutting down legacy infrastructure. We started first, and I did this when I was CEO of our European business, I started in small countries like Slovakia, Croatia to actually show that it is executable. 
Because at that point in time, the technology teams were saying, Claudia, you're nuts. We're never, ever, ever going to transform or switch off a full area. Yeah, mm. But we proved it. I proved it in smaller countries. And then in we need work, we set ourselves to the past to also um, change Germany. And this year, 2020, we will have completed that digitization of the networks also in Germany. So I would say, yes, some legacy you maintain, but you also need to find a path to get rid of it at the right point in time, because otherwise you will never come completely into the future. Complete change of topic, but still talking about the transformation. We both run companies that work both in the United States and in Europe. If you would compare on the digital front, both countries or both areas, which one is more advanced and why? <laughs> I would say if I just look at the telco sector, Europe does not have to hide behind the telco sector in the United States. So there are some things which work better here and others there. So I see the telco sector on a similar level of enhancement. And telco enhancement. is just the voice communication. So anything which we do, the voice communication, entertainment, yeah, the IoT, uh, certain cloud businesses we offer. So I would call it connectivity plus, mm -hmm. the connectivity and the adjacent businesses. The picture is very different. When you look at the technology sector, you see that the leading tech companies like Microsoft, Apple, Google, you name it, or on the Chinese sides, Alibaba, Tencent, Beidou, if you look at the market cap, mm. the center of gravity for the tech leaders of this world is nowadays primarily in China and in the United States, very much in the United States, but China catching up pretty significantly. And when you look at the semiconductor industry, which is super important for innovation in our industry, if you look beyond the semiconductor industry for the automotive segment, but for the tech and the infra mm. um, uh, industry, The semicon leaders come from the United States, Taiwan, mm -hmm. Japan, and South Korea. So on the tech side, the picture is very different. But you could say on the tech side, I'm not so much concerned because the tech side, we are in a global world. We have a free exchange of goods. You can purchase everything. So the business model of this industry, I would say up until more recently, has been a business model of deep global integration and working with players from around the world. Now, what you see is that the geopolitical conflict Uh, between the US and China, as well as maybe to some extent the COVID-19 crisis, has put some question marks. And now people are thinking, what does that mean in terms of resilience of global supply chains in the future? Mm -hmm. But on principle, we do it exactly like that. Yeah, We are global industry and also for security and performance reasons, we have made sure that we have a multi-vendor strategy and that we buy from companies around the world. But then what stops us in Europe to have those really big companies like Google or Microsoft or Alibaba have such a company uh, in Europe? It's a fantastic question. I think we in Europe, in Germany, are actually world champions still in building the best cars and yes, trucks absolutely. in the world. Tra and trucks, <laughs> and trucks in the world. <laughs> I think we are, even though the market cap of Tesla might not suggest that, but I think we really built the best cars and mm. trucks. We are world champion in industrial automation and in logistics. Mm. Uh, we have functioning liberal democracies and a, a big sentiment for environmental concerns. I think that's a strength. 
Mm. Now, the weakness is what I said before. I think we are not yet world champion in capturing data at scale, creating algorithms to interpret them and then create scaling business models. Now, your question was why that is. And the first answer I would have to offer is we have been too successful. The success of the past is a curse for the success of the future. Now, I'm talking about our own industry. You might remember years ago, SMS was a big topic. It was a huge cash cow for telcos. And many people in telcos said, ah, oh, messaging services like WhatsApp would never fly because they are not carrier grade and not that secure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? A few years later, they had a big boom, all the messaging services and um, SMS, text messages lost its relevance. So it's the success of the past, the sticking to patterns, plus also an unwillingness to sacrifice cash cows. And that leads me to the next point. I think, especially in Germany, we love incremental improvements. We love processes and rules. And we rather love to stick to them uh, rather than break or disrupt them. And I give you a practical example from our industry. Do you know how long it takes to get the approval for an antenna in Germany? On average, two years. In South Korea, which is the leading country on 5G, takes a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are also a little bit over-administrated country, which sometimes requires a lot of energy to actually break that. And the last point I would offer is, I think... Probably because that has been so successful, we still tend to have rather homogeneous management and leadership teams, boards and supervisory boards. And we need more diversity. And I'm now not talking about gender diversity only. What I mean is more people mm-hmm. in critical functions who truly understand platform models, data, algorithms, how that drives the consumer experience of the future and what will be the consumer experience. You know, before I entered this room, I I saw saw a message which said, a rich country is not a country where all poor people can afford cars as well. A rich country is a country where rich people use public transportation. So what does it say for your industry? What is what people consider the beauty of transportation in the future? And mm-hmm. are we willing to radically accept that early on, even if that has some impact on our wonderful, super successful core business? Mm-hmm. And in order to accept that, I think it helps to have more diversity when it comes to the experience background of human beings who, who call the shot. And, and you say on the one side, yes, you need the, the external impulse through supervisory boards and to advisors, but you need that as a general culture inside the yes. company. Yes, yeah. everywhere. So everywhere. I see it as well. For example, in technology, in our technology area, when you have organizations where people for a long period of time have always done the same, have always worked with the same platforms, the same platforms of the same vendors. I would say they have almost like an erotic relationship with that platform and that vendor. Mm -hmm. How do you want to create change? People see that then as a threat to their existence Mm -hmm. if you do it. The practical advice I would have, the way we tackled this in our IT and technology is basically we dissolved the traditional line and hierarchical organizations and 
are replacing it through what I call skill-based organization. So the governance thought are organizations, we call that chapters, and then you have the chapter of people who know software engineering, the chapter of people who are architects, the chapter of people who are um, AI specialists. So skill chapters. And then when it comes to projects, we look at how to get the best skill mix and then we um, staff people on these projects for a certain period of time. Specifically when it comes to the, I would say, more creative functions or which are under disruption. But then the interesting part is I can see when you work on projects that you go with such a chapter organization or we call it swarm organization. Yeah. But when you look on the other side, like a business, I have to run with 100,000 people around the globe. You need some kind of hierarchical structure in between as well. Absolutely. And I would say I have altogether, uh, I mean, DT has over 200,000 people yeah. and uh, in technology alone, I uh, have <clears throat> altogether these 80,000. And therefore, what I think is very important to figure out what parts of the business you run how. And there are things where the, I would say the, historic processes of running it are actually perfectly fine. You do not want to have a big failure tolerance. You do not want to have a tryout culture. I want perfect management of the network operations center 24 times, seven days all the time. And then there are other areas when it comes to product innovation, technology innovation, where you need to have more disruptions. Mm. But I just want to make a remark on what I think is a misunderstanding on agility, because I believe you need clear guidance and principles, especially in that culture. So this is for me not when I say we work flexible, that this means chaos and basis democratic decision making. Mm -hmm. To give a practical example of this, when we changed our IT, historically, we had very central decision making for very little points. We had the planning process where we planned features for the next two years to come and allocated people to that. And that turned out four years ago, like didn't work at all. So what we did is we delegated the decision making on the features to de be developed to joint business and IT teams. So where there was a decentralization of decision making. But at the same time, we got much more rigorous when it comes to architectural principles to which people need to stick and on mm -hmm. priority setting for the portfolio. Mm -hmm. So the decentralization of decision making to be close to optimizing the consumer experience has its, so to say, um, twi or, twin. Yeah, yeah. Um, what you need to do then at the other side, really enforce mechanisms like architectural guidelines so that you have rigorosity. I'm mm. just saying it's a different type of discipline and rigorosity than through the historic, rather hierarchical and demand and control cultures. Yeah, and I think this is a very, very good approach because, uh, and, and what stuck with me was is that sometimes in a hierarchical organization, we make decisions on two unimportant stuff and leave the important stuff completely out of that. So yes. you have you, you do singular, small decisions that don't fit together at all. So yes. I really like your, your idea. Management has to give a clear framework. And inside that framework, it's a complete freedom in it. Absolutely. And management needs to focus far more on what you said, the important decisions and the real trade-offs. Mm. And not delegate that to the lower levels. Yeah. So the real trade-offs between portfolio areas and the clarity of guidance on things like architecture and expected outcome. Mm. That requires even more leadership, I would say. Whereas 
leadership should not be confused by micromanagement or nitty-gritty stuff, which doesn't get better because people make the decisions who are far away from understanding the very practical problem with the uh, customer. And it seems you, you, you found a good way to do that because when I was preparing for that podcast, I was surprised Telecom only exists 25 years. But now I would say you are one of the few high-tech companies in, in Europe that are really internationally successful. Yeah, I would say, yes, the transformation of Deutsche Telekom was huge over the last 25 years, as you said, in many things, in terms of like brand perception, in terms of softwareization, in terms of internationalization, mm -hmm, uh, where it started. So, um, yes, indeed it was. And I must say, in our industry, we maybe had the luxury situation, unlike other industries, that we experienced disruption earlier. And disruptions through the over so-called over-the-top players who capture more value, the Netflixes of the world, mm -hmm. etc. So we experience disruption in our industry from outside all the time. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's actually good to have some something which inspires you to to change. And, and who pushes you the most? Is it the customer who wants more? Is it those players you just mentioned who, who deliver content? Or is it just the technology advancement from your suppliers? Or is this regulation? What, what pushes you I the most? I would say everything. The industry is driven very much through customer needs. Why? Because you assume the over-the-top experience you have with Amazon as the norm. Yeah, so having another industry than ours creating a new norm for great customer experiences pushes us on the expectation on the customer side. Second, technology evolves rapidly in this industry, mm -hmm. always. Then I think, needless to say, that regulation has a huge impact on the value creation in this industry. And to also make this very practical, for example, in Europe, we have the situation that we have hundreds of telcos. In the United States, there are three, T-Mobile US being one of them, and in China, there are three. So in Europe, regulation has always pushed for end consumer prices, but not for long-term investments. Mm -hmm. And that is also the reason why the supplier industry was actually nurturing itself more from the other markets mm -hmm. than from the European market. So regulation has a huge impact on value creation. And if you compare Deutsche Telekom to other European telcos, I think we are in a structurally privileged situation because we have assets in Europe and in the United States. States, mm -hmm. because the average revenue per user is significantly higher in the United States compared to any market in Europe. So regulation has a huge impact. And why is that so? Um, that is because the regulation has always pushed for allowing new entrants, mm -hmm. which could use the infrastructure of the existing ones for relatively cheap conditions. So European regulation has been end consumer price focused and always pushed for more competition and no consolidation. Um, you could say for a long time it was really good for customer for the low prices. Mm -hmm. But in, on the other hand, it has also dramatically weakened the telco sector in Europe compared to the telco sector in the United States or in, in Asia and China. Okay, but, but with you as an international company, you can then always... So this is what out. I said. We are, um, yeah. But the telco industry, unlike the tech industry, your industry is a multi-regional industry. And we are now an international company, Deutsche Telekom, because we have assets, T-Mobile US and the European assets. So this is what I meant with Deutsche Telekom as a structural advantage yeah. in this. And I call it in our industry, we are a global company. Global company means we're strong in all local markets and work uh, 
as a team together and pick the, I call it always picking the global brain, why an international company drives from one place, make mm -hmm. the entire world happy. And, and, and our industry is truly a global industry and it seems yours as well. So I would call it a truly international, multi-regional, not okay. as global as the tech industry okay. or the automotive okay. industry. Yeah. But it's getting more and more global mm. um, because you see that you have to create platforms that scale mm. and not reinvent everything mm. in every single country. I mean, I really like your energy, your enthusiasm about innovation and change. How do you do that in your daily life with your employees to bring that enthusiasm into entire, you know, big audiences or, or big departments, companies, parts of your company? There are a number of things. First of all, I would say you have to prove success. And for that, I realized you have to start small. If it works, continue, repeat, and if not, stop quickly. Like what I said before, how we did the digital transformation in the networks so that people start believing that you're not going to go away. You're serious. It's going to stay. We do it. When it works, we continue that. The second, what I feel important is to create rotation and mixed teams with people who have been in a task for a long time, with people who have a different perspective mm. and allow fluctuation because that is good against these silos. And then a third thing which we did in a technology and innovation area was was and is very important. We call it our skill transformation because what we did was after intensive discussions and pilots, we actually made a transparency. What are the capabilities we have in terms of software engineers, consumer experience designers, and what are the capabilities in terms of number of people which we need next year is three years or five years from now. But uh, and, and two other things resonated because you can transfer that one-to-one -to, -one to our industry as well. If you are very successful in the past, that's sometimes your biggest obstacle. For us, it's an internal combustion engine, and now we have to move to fuel cell and electrical yes. drive. Uh, but the second one is, and I think this could be a potentially a German thing, is that we really like the incremental step by step. We take what we have and we, we have the full energy and lust to make it even yes. another 5% more better. And once you have that, we go another 5%. And you want to blow it completely up and do True. something completely different. I think that's the German thing about the historically so successful engineering culture. Yeah, yeah. We like to stick to processes, rules, and yeah. then do incremental optimization. I think it's deeply embedded in our culture. Mm. Could it be that one thing is, if I do this disruptive thing and do something completely different, then I come as a German immediately in the defensive mode. I did something wrong in the past. Yes. And I want to defend yes. that. Yes. It, yeah. yes. I have. How do we overcome that defensive mode? Uh, that's, Because that's, the past was not bad. But the new thing is even better. Yeah, so let's go for the new one. I think it's a question of recognition. And what I learned in the skill transformation also is a personal experience. People want to be recognized for what they have done by their peer group. Yeah, they want to be regarded. And let's assume you are an expert in a certain discipline and you are age 50. Um, then your peer group appreciation depends on it. So the skill transformation fails if you do not create a narrative for recognition of human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So therefore, I believe it has to do with finding the right balance of 
allowing celebration of the past, taking the fire from the past was its good and translating it into the future. So as we have a past, mm. unlike very new companies. So I think it's not about devaluing the past. It's about understanding your professional journey as a lifelong mm. learning And the more experience and the older you get, you, the more experience you have to contribute. But you can contribute the experience to other things. So part of that, the skill transformation is really making sure that we value the past as well. Mm -hmm. We value the past as well, that it is not the narrative, now we know all better and in the past we did all wrong. It's more saying, okay, now what can we capture to actually adapt to the future? And another important thing is we need to look more at the performance of teams than individuals. What I mean by that. Managers who have to develop something, for example, our smart speaker, would of course always on an individual basis have the best. And mm. then they come to me and say, yeah, but Claudia, we do not have these AI or voice specialists internally, so we hire them all. Then the skill transformation doesn't work because the moment you get in a new skill, you are a beginner. So how do you do this? Or how are we trying to do this? We try to compose teams so that you do have always people who have done exactly this for a longer time and have proven that they can do it mm -hmm. together with the ones who are the beginners. And we want to create a culture where it is okay to be a beginner at the age of 50. And I think the more the leaders acknowledge that they are not like the ones who know everything better, but acknowledge their own disruption on themselves and how they need to learn, the easier it is for everyone else to admit that he or she is a beginner in something. So I think it has to do a little with like modesty mm -hmm. in the way we as leaders approach this. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And I, and I find it fascinating that we start with what does 5G means, you know, and end <laughs> up with the basics of psychology. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and I really like your recognition part. And, and that's potentially why, why it resonates for me always so much when I go for, uh, at Mercedes in, in our museum outside our headquarters in Stuttgart, where you see 130 years of automotive history, which yes. was, uh, which was really globally highly influenced by my company. And it shows that we reinvented ourselves over and over and over again. And I'm sure that we'll have a completely different vehicle in even in 15, 20 years from now. And, and the company always was able, sometimes with pain, but sometimes, you know, really blazing ahead. And we have to find a good balance between the two things. Yes, absolutely. So, thank you so much. It was so, uh, so refreshing. It gave so much insights. Thanks for that conversation, Claudia. It was a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me here. That's it for today. Please join us again for our next episode on Transportation Matters because transportation truly matters for all of us. Thank you. That was Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. If you enjoyed what you've heard, share this episode and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. You can do this by tapping the follow or subscribe button right next to the podcast title. Meanwhile, please check out another Daimler podcast, Headlights. It provides insights and unique stories from Daimler employees. Daimler.